Have you tried Music to Code by yet? Well, why not? Here's a comment Joe left on the website. This is also great music to mow by. I like listening to music while doing yard work to help the monotony of it seem less tedious. This past summer, I started listening to these tracks while doing yard work, and they worked great! I could let the music play in the background without focusing on it, and it seemed to help me concentrate on getting through my tasks. Thanks, Joe. And you know, now you can download the entire 13-track collection. That's over five and a half hours of music to code by for only 39 bucks. Check it out at musictocodeby.net. Welcome back to .NET Rocks. This is Carl Franklin. And this is Richard Campbell. Got a great show for you today. Rachel Neighbors is going to be here in just a few minutes. But first, hey man, how are you? Ah, you know, no rest for the wicked. Yeah? You missed an epic birthday party. I know, I know. I missed your wife's 50th. I missed your 50th. Oh man, what's wrong with me? And you had a 50th too, and I think I missed that. Yes, we can't always be at each other's parties, especially when we live on opposite coasts. But yeah, mine was good. Uh, we played, the band played, had saw some old friends. It was great. That's what you find fun. <laughs> yeah, that's that's fun for me. Yeah, It's not as fun as what you guys did. Uh, apparently, that was pretty awesome. Well, you know, we, uh, near as I can tell, the only thing my wife and I are competitive over is aught birthdays. So <laughs> yeah. we uh, just keep raising the bar on each other. And that's it's getting right. a little out of hand. But I have some thoughts for her 60th. Very good. <laughs> All right, well, let's run the music for Better Know a Framework and get this potty started. Little New Englander came out right there. I heard it. All right, buddy, what do you got? Uh, I found, because somebody sent it to me, a project from Six Labors called Image Sharp. Hmm. And you just install package Image Sharp. And you get it. It's a fully featured, fully managed cross-platform 2D graphics API designed to allow the processing of images without the use of system drawing. Built against .NET Standard 1.1, Wow! Image Sharp can be used in device, cloud, and embedded IoT scenarios. How cool is that? That is a low-level version of .NET Standard. Like right? you're talking, yeah. it'll run. That'll run on everything. Yeah. That's pretty cool. That's very cool. Looking forward to using it. So uh, that that is what it is, and it says what it says. So go get it. Know it, learn it, love it. Awesome. Who's talking to us, Richard? Grabbed a comment off of show 1469, the one we did at NDC with L Waters. Actually, we didn't do this one at NDC. We were supposed to. Oh, and we ended up having a conflict, so we recorded it later. And that was about accessibility. Right. Which is really, I thought, L had lots of insight in that. And our friend Chris Love was the first to comment on it. And Chris, I don't know how many mugs you got. I'll send you another one if you really want. But I really wanted to read this uh, comment of yours where he said, Wow, this interview with L is a must-listen for any web developer. The whole episode is a series of best practices and value bombs dropping everywhere. Value bombs dropping everywhere. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And then he gets a little Southern on us because he goes, I love the way y'all emphasize do things right from the beginning and you will suffer less. Mm. We all know that we should do that, but it's often tough to actually implement knowing all the right ways to do everything. It's an impossible task, but it is what we're paid to do. Yes. Also, I like that you evaluated some real sites that people know and can touch. Normal people like most developers never see the many issues that are sitting within their code. For example, real problems that Amazon.com has with accessibility. Mm. Yeah, you know, one of the biggest sites in the world, and it's not as accessible as it could be. Right. When it comes to the front end, it's all about user experience, which boils down to performance, accessibility, and just the general ability to interact with your brand and application quickly and easily without frustration. Thanks for finding Elle and having a great conversation with her, and keep up the good work. Well, we will, sir. You keep our feet to the fire. Yep. And yell about how much JavaScript is on our pages, because that's what you do. <laughs> Real men don't how use many frameworks. frameworks. 
Yeah, I could, now I can torture Chris. It's like, I can make it accessible, but I have to use a framework. What do I do, Chris? What do I do? <laughs> yeah. Chris, thanks so much for your comment. A .NET Rocks mug is on its way to you. And if you'd like a .NET Rocks mug, write a comment on the website at .NET Rocks.com or via any of our social media because we publish every show to Facebook and Google+. And if you comment there and we read it on the show, we'll send you a mug. And definitely follow us on Twitter. He's at Rich Campbell. I'm at Carl Franklin. Send us a tweet. They, uh... Sharpen our image. Oh, no. Did you do a sharper image? That's all I got. Sorry. That's all you got, huh? (laughs) I'm horrified. Ah, well, you you and 70 million other people. All right. (laughs) Let's bring on Rachel to uh, liven up this party. Rachel Neighbors has been cultivating the web animation community for years, and she has worked with the W3C and Mozilla on the web animations API, and she founded the Animation at Work community and just published a book of the same name. Today, she works to build the web forward at Microsoft's Edge browser. Welcome to the show, Rachel. Hello there. So good to see you both. Yeah, well, good to see you. And quite literally, because I'm Skyping with you, but Richard is uh, on an audio-only feed. So there you don't you get go. the it Canadian is, view. It is a podcast. That's right. You will not see this. We don't get That's to see okay. your shining visage. No, and I'm not that shiny at the moment. <laughs> Let's talk about animation at work. What is that all about? Yeah, where does animation come into play here? Oh, are you talking about where animation comes into play on the web or where it comes into play in your user experience? <laughs> Do we get to pick? Oh, I figure, you know, since we're drawing straws here. Okay, how about your user experience? Oh, sweet. So glad you asked because that's <laughs> actually what my uh, my book, Animation at Work, is pretty much about. But it comes at it from the the web angle. So, how many of you use a touchscreen device, like a an i device or an Android? You know, it's got moving pictures under glass. Wait a second. Wait a second. Wait for it. Uh, seventy four thousand three hundred thirty two. That's what I. <laughs> that was quick. That was quick. How about all of us? Pretty much yeah. in the tech world. Yeah, pretty much. So uh, it's interesting because when people talk about how, oh, wow, the iPhone, it changed everything. Typically, we we see a picture of Steve Jobs as this angel from heaven who came down and blessed Hmm. a device with his, um, I don't know, his black turtleneck or something. Mm -hmm. Who wears a black turtleneck on stage? Makes you look like a floating head. Really? But anyway. uh, (laughs) I think he was a floating head. I still wonder about that. It's like, this is an episode of Futurama I'm watching? I don't know. (laughs) But uh, (laughs) Well, he wasn't the first to do touch. No, he wasn't. But there was one thing that iOS got really right, right out of the gate. There are a number of reasons why the iPhone actually worked. You could say it was the culmination of technology that enabled, uh, enabled, well, uh, an LCD screen in such a small package and touch, et cetera. There are a lot of different things coming together. But one thing that really made this touch screen work for this phone, because touch screens have been done on other phones before, yep. was that it had the power to do the animations that would provide the gestures for people to interact with a screen like that. Previously, mm-hmm. these phones would come out with a touch screen. They had a little stylus so you could hunt and peck. It wasn't right. that different from the mouse, the pointer model, yeah. which is a little difficult to use on the fly. Mm-hmm. Um, but with gestures, a person can just bop, bop, bop with their finger. Now, here's the deal. Think about when you're using that device. Could you imagine using that device if the like when you touch something, it just jumped to a different page or the whole screen just changed immediately as opposed to the animations you're used to experiencing with your gestures? Like when you tap on something, it clearly changes using an animation to react to your inputs. You slide it to the left. Yes, it's an immediate reaction to your interaction. And that's what made the experience on the iPhone so great. And, you know, Apple was smart. They were investing in core animations for a very long time. And it just came together with that touch-based device uh, that just could not be done without a really good animation strategy and animation ties into all sorts of things like you can't have reasonable animations with poor performance because if there's stutter or if the animation skips it really pops users out of that illusion of life the 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 illusion is broken and their brain stops and goes hold up what just happened there Mm. which 
I see this sometimes when people originally started animating with uh, CSS and JavaScript after the, the death of Flash. We saw them coming in and they would animate things, but the animation wouldn't quite work because they're trying to do too much on whatever the device was. And it caused more problems for the users than it solved. But it does, it does occur to me that when animations are done perfectly, and, they, you know, the big thing on the iPhone was the key, the, the screen-based keyboard, which we thought wouldn't be good, was great. And I think part of that was the animations were so good, you didn't even realize they were happening. I know. That's a, the magical thing about uh, an interface like that. It, it, it's just so intuitive, and it's got so many active skeuomorphisms that it feels natural. It's just an extension of your everyday interactions, and soon before you know it, it's it, it's like a, a second hand. Again, I remember this whole fact of believing in the keyboard, that as you hit the key, the key got bigger underneath your finger, so you, you had a sense you hit the right thing. There was also that little tactile tap, too, that... It really kind of faked out your brain that you were typing on a keyboard. And then the uh, Android phones have this addition, and the iPhone doesn't have it, I don't think. But when you touch a button, the whole phone just sort of vibrates a little bit. My my iPhone 7 Plus, the gigantic thing that it is, does that. Oh, so does it? you know, Okay. Oh, yeah. always, always there in the competition. Good yeah. job. Yeah, I have an iPhone 6 Plus, and it doesn't do that, and I'm happy. But I got a great story for you. Richard remembers this. I think we were at in uh, Barcelona at TechEd, sitting around Ooh. with Greg Hughes, who's your Richard's uh, uh, co-host at the time of Run As Radio, and I had just gotten an iPhone. I mean, I had just gotten it, and I, I still had the little tick, 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 tick sound on, right? So I'm sitting there, you know, texting or something, tick, 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 and Greg looks over at me, and goes, "You know, you can turn that sound off." <laughs> <laughs> Hilarious. <laughs> you can make that go away. You can make that really annoying sound go away. Anyway, <laughs> I, I totally agree that, that that was amazing, but by no means the first. I remember the first thing that I saw that was like the iPhone was actually the Surface, the Microsoft Surface, which did all the animations and had 10 points of touch and problem was it was you know the cost of a small sedan and required a team to come and put it up and also about as heavy as refrigerator but you're talking about the old surface not the little app the tablet but That's the right. table the original surface table the table yeah i don't know how many people even remember that table i remember it i remember mm -hmm. that it didn't fit in my pocket either mm. nope it was a couple of bucks and it was fragile it was a big heavy fragile table but it was amazing yeah Maybe tables will be like that again in the future one day. I have high hopes. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> but if you keep tracing back that multi-touch visual, you know, fast enough animations that were natural, do you remember before the Surface Table, there was that, it was projected from behind, so the room was always kind of dark, and you re they were kind of painting on the screen with all their fingers at once. You know, we'd only ever seen touch as these blocks that you tapped very carefully one at a time to use and suddenly there was this very organic very animated looking you're painting with your fingertips on a screen effect it was again it's experimental but it just sort of that was the first time we started th i really thought about multi-touch and that 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 the computer is so responsive that you stop thinking about you're manipulating a computer you're now painting on a screen but i will say this and rachel i'm sure you're getting to this point that even though the experience of that animation under your fingers on the iPhone and, and on other phones and devices and tablets is amazing, um, it still isn't enough to keep people from using the web, is it? No. People constantly, uh, it's like the first thing people open up on their desktop computers. Maybe not the first thing they open up on their mobile phones, right. although I might be the exception to the rule there. Uh, but as people have interacted more and more with touchscreens, not just limited to phones, but also, you know, surfaces, the actual ones that you can fit in a backpack, not the ones that you have to have the IKEA movers come and install, uh, also involve a lot of touch. So people are getting used to seeing, because you can't have touch without good gestures and animations, people are getting used to seeing animation. They're being weaned off this paradigm of, you know, tapping something with their mouse, waiting for the whole page to change, 
and then reevaluating the information on that page. Every time that happens, there's an increase in cognitive load. Mm. There's some really fascinating uh, fMRI studies that have come out of cinematography research, of all things, that indicate that there is a strong rehash. A lot of brain activity happens right between when people see an action happening on the screen and then when it cuts to a different scene where no action is happening. It's like the the theory is that the human brain tears down its mental model of what was happening and then builds a new one from the new information that's come on the screen. And you could assume that that's happening in a human interaction model uh, with any sort of software or website. So motion as a way to facilitate guiding that, that, you know, tear down, keeping it from happening, maintaining the model for as long as possible, just showing people your action caused this thing to happen. This thing goes there. When you dismiss it, you can find these here. It's, it's, it's like having a flight traffic controller, mm. uh, all being done visually. It's, it's quite, quite amazing how much we infer from the world around us through the human visual system. Yeah, indeed. How much does it cost us in terms of resources to have those animations in there? Like, why haven't we always done this? Well, you know, animations take energy to make, and usually it's good to have a GPU handling that for you. So right. you got to have very small chips that are going to fit into smaller devices. And, I mean, remember, GPUs, one time, they were, like, only something you got if you were into gaming. So why would software do animations if that was a specialized piece of hardware? Now we all have GPUs. We have GPUs in our phone. We're probably going to have GPUs in our fridge at some point. Mm. And so animation, the cost has come down. I have a story for you. In 1994, I think it was, I figured out how to do raster animation um, of of a you know a raster a sort of an object walking across the screen like a sort of a Pac-Man thing but just on your regular screen and I did this in VB and it was probably VB three or two or something like that all using um, the Windows API and I just remember the incredible amount of memory it took up because I had to keep a copy of the screen in memory. Okay, uh, two copies of the screen. I had to keep the current copy and I had to keep uh, another copy, which I did the animation onto and then blitted from that onto the, the screen device context. And so I just remember taking a look at the, the memory usage and being appalled. And of course, it was back in the days when we were using 386 machines and we only had, I don't even know if we had a gig of RAM, <laughs> let alone multiple gigs. Oh my goodness. I remember 386 machines. Believe Mm. it or not, as much as I'm referencing Apple, I was originally a Windows girl. Mm. My mother wouldn't let me even use visual shortcuts on our uh, Windows 98. She insisted that I open all of my my games using the command line. So it's like, go into Uh DOS, execute your games, Rachel. Shortcuts are for weaklings. (laughs) (laughs) I think your mother was ahead of her time. Yeah, right. She was pretty badass. She uh, she could do assembler and programmed in COBOL. She was a systems analyst. That's cool. That is so yeah. funny. Very cool. She was pretty darn cool. A little strict, but pretty cool. Uh, but yeah, so animation, like this, this what I'm hearing, the stories that you're telling me. I love, I love that you just told me about trying to animate this thing. It was such a chore. And oh my God, look at how yeah. much power it's taking. I love these stories. Um, oh my God. And like the original SIGGRAPH. When, uh, when, when the founders of Pixar, you know, they just were like, look, we, we animated a hand. Like, that was epic. And yeah. then, of course, you can't make movies. That was the funniest thing. Like, when I, I read about that happening, that historical moment, realized, you know, they had to have realized at some point that they can't possibly pay computer scientists enough to hand animate every frame of animation. Right. They had to come yeah. up with visual interfaces so that you know artists could get out there and animate things and that was probably less efficient so that was probably the whole setup they were building to uh when they first started you know we're gonna make an animated film tackling those interface challenges they're they're a big deal even on the web composing animations is is still pretty tricky there are a couple of different programs out there you can use but for the most part most of us are hand coding them in our css and javascript I got another 386 story of woe for you. This one involves music, not art. But my brother and I had one of the very first digital audio workstation 
pieces of software and hardware that ran on a 386. Um, a friend of mine I was working for in New York City had gotten a hold of one and wanted to be a rep for them. So here's how painful it was. My brother and I stayed up for like three days in a row recording this song, which wound up on our first album, by the way. By the way, Richard, it's She Won, the original version. Mm-hmm. So we would have to lay down tracks and we couldn't, if we wanted to listen to any of it, it took hours to render, hours to mix down a bunch of tracks or even just a little piece of a track. A little piece of a track would take 20, 30 minutes. Uh, the whole song would take hours. And that was with dedicated hardware and, and a really big hard drive. Oh, yeah. That was fun. Oh, my God. <laughs> All right. Welcome to Old People Talk about new technology. <laughs> I'm having fun with this. <laughs> it's just, you know, perspective is a good thing, I think. It's important to remember where we've come from and the, yeah. the paths that have been tread before. I, you know, like the story I told you about Pixar and and how you could not make an animated film if you hand-coded every frame. This is a discussion that's happening in web development right now because mm. we need better tooling around creating and compositing animations yeah. because it really uh, raises the barrier to entry and creation to not have those tools and other markets and other industries have overcome this, you know, from gaming to studio animation and yeah, Toon Boom is the product that, you know, My Little Pony's Friendship is Magic, the movie is being done in. Mm. So we're going to have to tackle it eventually. Just haven't quite solved it yet. Rachel, give us one second here to pay the bills. This episode of .NET Rocks is made possible in part by Windows on the Google Cloud Platform. You may not know this, but the Google Cloud Platform supports Windows Server 2008, 2012, and 2016. It also supports SQL Server versions 2012, 2014, and 2016 standard web and enterprise editions with high availability. You can deploy your ASP.NET Windows apps to Compute Engine or your ASP.NET Core apps to App Engine or Container Engine. That's Google's hosted Kubernetes environment. .NET and .NET Core libraries are there for all 200-plus Google.com and cloud services in NuGet, led by John Skeet of Stack Overflow fame. But what about Visual Studio integration? Oh, it's there. You can use Visual Studio to manage your GCP resources and deploy your existing apps. You get stack driver logging, error reporting, and tracing support for .NET and .NET Core. PowerShell commandlets for GCP, which run on Windows and Linux. And a great set of partners to bring your Windows and .NET workloads to GCP, including Capgemini, Nudesic, and Magenic. So go to gcp.netrocks.com and get your free trial today. And you're listening to .NET Rocks. I'm Richard Campbell here with Carl Franklin. We're talking to Rachel Neighbors about animation at work. And... It occurs to me that Windows has a lot of this capability built in. You know, you don't have to, as the developer, write the code to make the button animate when you click on it. You could enhance it, but, you know, a lot of it just happens automatically. I just wonder if that's the the normal practice, that there will be animators who build controls so that web developers can have animations. That's an interesting thought. For the most part, writing animations for the web, it's like, grab this thing, when this thing happens to this thing, this property will change. Here's your easing curve and how long that change should take. And then you scoot out. Uh, right. And it, which is pretty like swoop and poop as far as, as far as telling the computer what you want it to do. But it's kind of handy. Once again, those specs were written by Apple. I'm sorry. Did you say swoop and poop? Is that the technical term? <laughs> S&P, man. S&P. I think that's used for other <laughs> things, but sometimes it feels that way. It's a bit like, here you go, browser. Goodbye. Take care of it. Well, and some of these UI frameworks now have, you know, controls uh, that, you know, Kendo comes to mind, Widgmo comes to mind. Um, and there's a whole bunch of them that, that have these things built in that do animations. They just sort of wrap it up for you nicely. They do. But for the most part, what we're seeing on the web today is when people are using animation, they're making their own animations as opposed to using prepackaged. Yeah. I mean, there are design systems. I was on Salesforce Lightning Design System as a consultant for the motion design portion of that. And like that is specifically for people who want to build app-like things inside Salesforce's ecosystem that mm. match the Salesforce brand. And Salesforce provides them with a set of uh, 
pre-scripted, uh, pre-formatted little UI bits and pieces, little micro interactions and patterns that they can pick and choose from, you know, uh, delightful defaults, as it were. So that happens, but it's actually rather uncommon. Most people prefer to roll their own. Most companies prefer to create their own that are uniquely branded just for them. I mean, you can change the whole look and feel of an interface by just tweaking an easing curve to make the rate of change just a little bit different. Use it regularly throughout your interface, and suddenly you have an interaction pattern that starts feeling like you, starts feeling like your company's. So what are some of the tools that people are using specifically for web animation that help? I mean, I remember back in the days of Flash, that was pretty cool. And of course, that died a, 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 a terrible death. But uh, did Adobe pick up the, the pieces and do any HTML5 CSS tools? Is there anything else out there that you can talk about? Well, Adobe did give it a crack. They created something called Edge Animate. And it used jQuery to do the animations. But the problem with the approach was that Adobe had users making a still canvas, like a, you know, you, this is a problem I run into with a lot of Adobe's tools is how big do you want your canvas to be? We don't build web pages right. like that anymore. Right. Like the web is responsive. It's not how big do you want it to be? It's how do you want this to change? How do you want to mm. step this down for a very narrow user, uh, user interface? Or how do you want to? expand it if it's on a TV screen. Mm. So Adobe never really wrapped its user interfaces around that paradigm, which made for, uh, it was really difficult if you're doing anything other than a splash page or an interactive iBook that, right. you know, you know, it's got to be at this pixel dimension to work on an iPad. Mm. So they made that. A lot of people really enjoyed it for making specifically splash pages and iBooks, but it didn't take off. So they canned it. And Adobe hasn't really ventured back into the animation on the web tooling space since. Although the new uh, successor to Flash, Animate CC, does export to SVGs. It's very, it, that's not something you would build a, a, in one of those wonderful uh, interface pattern libraries from. Yeah. So as far as building pattern libraries, hand coding is the way to go. If you want to build splashy, cool stuff, there are tools like animatron um let's see we've got tumult hype that's mac only a lot of prototypers like right now what we're seeing in the web space is we've got motion designers coming in from special effects and you know they use after effects this is okay. a, like the thing that they use and they export using a tool called body moving to mm -hmm. svg and then Airbnb came by and built a tool called Lottie on top of Body Movin, which exports to iOS, to Android, React Native, and Windows. Wow. So, I mean, it, it's nice because a lot of newly grads know how to use After Effects, and they can use this tool to translate the things that they're making in After Effects into formats that, you know, developers can actually grab onto and use which is very difficult to do right now. How good is it? I mean, is the translation good enough that you can't tell the difference between running in After Effects and the SVG? Yes. I mean, it's wow. good enough that we uh, <laughs> it is talked about quite a lot in the design halls at Microsoft. So wow. uh, if, I would assume. That's good news. And we'll put links to those in the show notes. Nice. I mean, it, it's interesting. Animation for a long time carried that stigma when I talk to people who've been in development a long time and specifically haven't focused on the comp and rendering aspects, there's a lot of, well, isn't animation like a, a suck on the battery? Do people really need it? But I got to tell you something. Prototyping's become a big deal in web development. Like big companies like Salesforce and Facebook have entire wings of people develop uh, just just to prototype. They learn a framework or they learn a tool like Envision app or Framer.js and they're mm -hmm. making throwaway code just to test and create things and then developers can go and pick out what they need and recreate it in the main system. It's a really interesting role that's gained a lot of traction over the years. Every single prototyping tool that was on the market five years ago has either adopted animation features or has dropped out of the race. It's It's fascinating to see companies are now competing like to build a better user interface. It's now expected that there should be meaningful, purposeful animation to ease that cognitive load. Because if you don't use it, your, your competitor will. 
And it's apparently having an impact, if not on those companies, and at least on the prototyping software companies. Hey, Richard. Yeah, buddy. Guess what time it is now? It must be that happy time again. Yep. It's time to apply an easing curve to the level of intelligence in this show until it comes to a nice, complete, easy stop. (laughs) (laughs) Or maybe not. Actually, self-fulfilling prophecy right there. There you go. Time to ease out. Oh, nice. (laughs) Animation humor. It's actually time to give away a D-Experience subscription to one lucky member of the .NET Rocks fan club. Become a UI superhero with DevExpress UI controls and libraries and deliver elegant .NET solutions that address customer needs today and leverage your existing knowledge to build next-generation touch-enabled solutions for tomorrow. Whether it's an Office-inspired application or a data-centric analytics dashboard, DevExpress Universal ships with everything you'll need to build your best without limits or compromise. Check out their DevExtreme React Grid, built from the ground up to fully support all the cool features that come with React, like the virtual DOM and state controllers like Redux and all that. It supports master detail, sorting, grouping, paging, and editing. You can check it out and test it for free. It's on GitHub. Go get it. Learn more and download your free 30-day trial of DevExpress Universal at devexpress.com slash superhero. All right, buddy. Who's our winner? Today's winner, Richard, is Rajim Cariazzo. Congratulations, Rajim. Yes. Golf clap for you, sir. And Rajim just won the D-Experience subscription, a big pile of awesome from our friends at DevExpress, just for being a member of the .NET Rocks fan club. And if you don't know what that is, go to .NET Rocks.com, click on the big Get Free Stuff button, answer a few questions, and join the fan club. We have thousands of members all over the world, and every show we like to give away stuff from our sponsors. And every December, we give away a $5,000 technology shopping spree to one lucky member of the fan club. But you have to sign up to win. And we also like to ask our guests, Rachel, if you had $5,000 to spend on technology right now, what do you think you would buy? I'd probably buy one of the new Wacom tablets. Really? Yep. Cintiq? Yeah, the Cintiq is nice, but Wacom's created a mobile version of the Cintiq. Now, let me see if I can pull it up. Oh, yeah. Pen computers. Mobile Studio Pro. Hmm. Uh, It's it's a tablet, and it it is all the best things about the Cintiq, but it's got the OS inside it, so you can put it in your backpack and take it with you. I would love to buy one and play with it forever. So is it a screen, or is it like the classic Wacom, just a tablet that translates to something on the screen? Oh, my God. It, it is an embedded screen. I mean, the whole thing with the Cintiq is you're literally like drawing with your pen on the canvas with pressure sensitivity. No kidding. And that those mobile yeah. ones, this, they're like a 13-inch and a 16-inch? Yep. So what is the new one called that you're talking about, Rachel? The Mobile Studio Pro. Mm-hmm, fancy. But yeah, I would love to have a Mobile Studio Pro. And it is because the problem with the Cintiq is you always have to be tethered someplace. It's gigantic. It needs to be on an arm. It's essentially, it's an interactive display and you can attach it to any computer you like. But the Mobile Studio Pro, it, it's completely mobile. You don't, it, it has like an entire uh, computer operating system inside it. Mm. It's got its own GPU and CPU and you can just take it with you wherever you go. It doesn't have to be on an arm connected to a tower. Wow. Nice. I love that part. It's like we're getting so close to Scott McCloud's dream of a digital canvas. I'm just so pumped. Yeah. I almost thought you were going to say the Microsoft Windows Surface Studio. That would also be nice, but I can't put that in my backpack. Yeah, right. You just got to meet the right backpack. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my god! Show, I, I show up looking like a Sherpa to work every day. Well, that these are details you're now digging into, Rachel. Right? What you asked was portable. If I find you a big enough pack box, maybe with some wheels on it, you know, we we can we can get you there. You'll I know like we can. Right, right. So because this only comes to about three grand, I'm gonna just yes. well, that's the big one, big one that I want. Uh, I'm gonna say that I probably get them both. I get this one for going around. I get the Surface Studio at home for when I come back. Well, you now you're now you're about six grand, but you yeah, know, you're over. But we get the sentiment. I chip in the extra one. All right. Well, that's worth it. 
<laughs> that looks really cool. Yeah, I like it. It is beautiful. It is what I what I like is this is a purpose driven tablet, not a generalized tablet. Yeah, mm-hmm. and that's that's an interesting statement. I have no idea if the uh, if this has received traction. Like, is this doing well? I don't know any cartoonist friends who use one, unfortunately. And I have a lot of cartoonist friends. It is $3,000. That is not a small chunk of change for a piece of hardware. You'll find most cartoonists invest their money in their hardware uh, pretty aggressively. So, sure. you know, they they are living in in the a scrubby side of town or with eight other people. But my God, they have $5,000 worth of equipment because right. those comics must get done on time. Yep. So what does your workflow look like when somebody, um, you know, if you're doing a, an animation job for somebody? Oh, my gosh. Uh, I actually don't really have a workflow right now. I do everything in CodePen by hand. Wow. I have export scripts from Photoshop to make sure I get all my images sprited the way I want them. Mm. And it's not glamorous. You're expecting something really cool with like a Wacom and, you know, no, actually, know, like I'm impressed. Nintendo Power Glove. <laughs> I'm totally impressed, actually. I mean, the I, I, I got to say that I, I'm kind of with you in, in my side of the world, the audio world. I do a lot of stuff by hand as well. And uh, I'm only starting to get into some of the higher level tools. I still think there's a place. Like, nothing would be more useful to me to be able to look at my code on the screen hit a record button somewhere and just tug something around on that screen mm. and have the computer write all the code for me because the computer's probably better at it than I am. Yeah. But that doesn't exist right now. Hmm. Not right now. One day it might. So kids, if you're wondering how to be like Rachel, just be awesome. And then <laughs> you'll, you'll get there eventually. Never underestimate having an artistic background and having a, a love of programming. I think the two go hand in hand, but I do I do have this to say. I kind of regret that I spent uh, my senior year of homeschool, high school, learning Photoshop instead of learning calculus. Because uh, now I'm getting to the point in graphics where it's it. like, and this is ha- we're going to need some parabolas, and I'm like, what? Mm. What? Oh no! <laughs> yeah, calculus is good for graphics. Um, Richard, you, I'm, I'm surprised you haven't jumped here in with your, uh, stories of your daughter, who is a graphic artist and has a webcomic, because I guess the two of you can really have a meaningful conversation about that. And well, certainly the only reason I know anything about Wacom hardware is because of s- hooking her up with that. And I sent her a link immediately to the studio device, because you know, cool I dad. guess that's the name. There you go. I'm helping out. Any excuse to me that I'm, I just don't want to be alone with all the hardware. So if somebody else wants hardware, that makes me happy. There you go. It's not just me. I don't want to be the only person in the house that's buying toys. Yeah. That's surrounded by equipment at all times. Uh, But I I did have, I was thinking in terms of this animation at work and, and thinking about the line between animations that distract and animations that add to your work. Like where, how do you, when do you think you've gone too far? <laughs> well, that's a great question. So currently there is this, uh, how do I put this? Do you know what parallax is? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's when things move at different rates on the screen to mm, yeah. uh, imitate the motion we experience in our day-to-day life. Things closer to us uh, cover greater areas faster than things farther away from us. And there was a period of time when the JavaScript library for this was the hotness. Every ad agency was adding the parallax razzle-dazzle to their websites, and it was everywhere. And then this funny phenomenon started cropping up where people would be like, I can't use your site. It makes me dizzy. Yeah, right. Vestibular disorders, their thing, your vestibular system controls your balance, your eyes and your middle ear are a component of that. And for some folks, uh, imitation parallax on the screen is a bit much. Now, Apple solved this by slapping a great old reduced motion toggle in their accessibility settings on their iOS devices. Mm. And you'll find that Windows machines have a reduced animations toggle as well. Yeah. So the idea is that developers can tap into that. If people are getting sick looking at your animations, you probably want to scale that back a bit. You want to bring it in. <laughs> That's right. Listen to your customers, and if they go, ah! You know, you've gone too far. 
another thing to listen for. This is an accessibility feature, really, right? <laughs> Just that different people react to it in different ways. It's true. Hmm. And you got to respect that. Some like some people will be like, well, then that means we just shouldn't use animation at all. But the problem is, if we never used animation, we'd be giving up all those wonderful cognitive boosts that people get, you know, right. the gestures, the immediate feedback, uh, all the good things that come with animation. So we can't really let it go. We just have to allow users to have more choice in how they experience the world we make for them. I think that's a, that respect for the users and not trying to treat them like babies is a, a pretty pretty mature approach to design. But another thing to keep an eye out for, and you might be familiar with this, you might, and of course, you're all really wonderful people and you you always take your product and put it in front of some real users, not your mom, not your dad, not the person sitting next to you in the cubicle who's been staring at a computer all their life. You show it to some real people who are your target audience and you watch them from behind a mirror and you listen carefully, right? Mm -hmm. And you might hear sure some... Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. That's the that's the way you do it, right? That's Everybody does that. Yeah. <laughs> well, I hope you do. But if anyone in that session says something like, oh, that's delightful, uh, when they're experiencing <laughs> one of your animations, be wary of it. <laughs> There's a good chance. Like, like, I feel like animations should be like good waiters at a restaurant. You're having a great conversation and suddenly, oh, you have another cocktail in front of you. Where'd that come from? Uh, you don't see them. You don't notice them. They're invisible. They're doing a great job of just getting in and getting your stuff in and out of that situation without interrupting your overall flow of conversation or mental right. processes. So if the animation is noticeable, it's probably popping people out of whatever flow they're supposed to be in, mm, whatever task right. they're supposed to be completing, whatever they're supposed to be paying attention to. And it might be positive at first, but if they're having to go through this flow multiple times in a like a one hour period, it's going to wear them out. Mm -hmm. Like Clippy, the first time I saw Clippy, I thought Clippy was awesome. The <laughs> third time I saw Clippy, I was like, how would I turn this thing off? And, and the 10th time, you're just throwing things at your screen. I remember the day Clippy died. It was like, hey, are you digging a grave? Is that a business grave or a personal grave? Can I help you with that? <laughs> 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 I I, should, I don't like being mean to Clippy. He was so sweet. <laughs> and I know someone spent a lot of time and their users were like, this is delightful. They just didn't keep testing past that first interaction. Yeah. <laughs> Let's talk to you next week. Yeah. So, but I, I think it's a really salient point that, and it, this is a callback all the beginning when you're talking about the iPhone's keyboard. When the animation is right, it's almost unnoticeable. Mm-hmm. It should be appropriately fast for the situation. I mean, you do have to say if you're moving something over a greater distance, it should take longer to achieve that motion. Mm, but, right. you know, and if you're on a phone, it's very small distances. Animations should be very fast, uh, very nimble. They, they should happen only long enough for them to be registered, for them to register to the user. Like, you can't make them happen instantaneously. You lose the, you lose all the cognitive in betweening from that. But you don't want it to last longer than necessary. So it tend, I tend to see people tying durations of animations to distance crossed or speed of gesture. And that makes a lot of sense. That works real well for folks. Very cool. So how quickly the user uses it should affect how quickly it responds, as well as how far it has to go. Right. Oh, wow. This is a whole lot of it depends, isn't it? Animation is more independent. It depends than like anything else I've ever worked with, which is mm -hmm. kind of awesome. We're also in a place where we can do a lot more of it. Do you consider the sort of the color change effects, the depth effects and things also animations? Yeah, actually. I mean, anytime something visually changes and it's not just, you know, cutting from state A to state B, that's an animation. Mm -hmm. Uh, it's interesting because motion design is the term that's used in the design industry for a lot of what we're seeing with, you know, animators coming in and creating uh animated micro interactions, you know, the slide of a toggle or uh, the appearance of a modal. And in their industry, motion design is a word used to describe creating like bumpers and graphics and overlays for TV. Now, when it comes to interfaces, not all animations involve motion. Some of them are color changes. Some of them are changes of form. You know, you got an icon right. that goes from a circle to a square. So it's kind of, it sounds really slick, but it doesn't actually describe 
you know, user interface animation. It's a visual change that mm -hmm. happens over a period of time. Yeah. Do you put any stock in the future of animation being motion capture, like either with a sort of VR set or connect like cameras that can then turn things into animations that will even look halfway decent? Or maybe just we can borrow some of the aspects of uh, something that was motion captured, like, you know, like the easing, like the motion, but apply oh, it man. to something else that we've got. So I have already been thinking about that for quite some time. I was in an Ikea once and uh, we are, we're always in Ikea. Uh, so Ikea, it's like our version of, um, no, I can't describe it. It's oh, just, it's our we, bonding moment. We know about Ikea. My husband and I are Ikea champs. Awesome. Like when we go to <laughs> Ikea, we nail it every time. I think we've only ever fought an Ikea once and we made up an Ikea, went outside <laughs> and came back in. And this is out of like 50 trips to Ikea lifetime. <laughs> it was amazing. But anyway, in Ikea, opening and closing the drawers. And I was like, wow, you know, it's got that no pinch your fingers uh, trigger on it mechanism mm. that slows down the close to a gentle uh, when you get it, uh, right. when it gets close to the the opening, and I was like, man, if only I could take a video of this and then capture that rate of change, convert it into a cubic Bezier curve. Yeah, I could I could put this all over IKEA's website, and all of their slide out menus and everything would be perfectly uh, would be perfectly in tune with the products that they merchandise. Exactly. And I had that idea, and I know that I've got some friends who are experimenting with making tools to do that sort of thing. It's I'm, I've got my fingers crossed for the future of natural inputs in. Well, I've been a Connect developer for a long time, ever since Connect 1. And those are things that you can do. I mean, you can essentially follow at 30 frames a second the, the points of the body over time and get their, you know, their, their, their coordinates in 3D. And so, you know, with that data, you know, maybe extrapolating to 2D, you could get the points now figuring out the math that's that's a job for somebody who took calculus <laughs> i gotta go back and take calculus i've been looking for good books on the topic but i gotta tell you most of them are kind of like you must be in grad school here is calculus like yeah, yeah something that's fun like for like precocious like tweens or something like that <laughs> maybe some pictures of some cute kittens in it's it it's gotta be out there where is the young adult calculus? Yeah. Yeah. I saw a book called Calculus for Cats that looked pretty promising. If you like cats. To the Amazons. To the Amazons. Know it, learn it, well, love you're it. You're not kidding. There really is a book called Calculus for Cats. I swear. Yes. Yeah. It looked pretty good. <laughs> but I'm a dog person, so I didn't. Uh, I, they lost me at page <laughs> one. Calculus for dogs. That would be fun. Throw the ball. The ball creates an arc. Here's how you describe the arc. With a cat, you can measure the limit of its swipe range, you know? Calculus for cats brings me to the idea that Amazon.com might actually be a manifestation of the infinite monkey theorem. I'm looking at the art and thinking you're right. <laughs> how about we just make all the books? Yeah. I shouldn't cast shade. I understand that everyone's cover art is their own personal triumph, but I'm especially enjoying the eye of the tiger with the cat <laughs> yeah. drawn on top of it. And the mouse <laughs> is covered in formulas and has a very strange, slightly worried look on it. But it does make you want to pick up the book and read it, doesn't it? What is yes, this I all about? Yes, I do want to know what the cat is saying. Yeah. So what's next for you, Rachel? Oh, my God. Don't drop me on a bomb like that. I don't know what next. <laughs> I just launched a book. Okay? World domination. I'm recovering from launching this book, which yeah. has been awesome. It's been my, my dream editor. Uh, I am, you know, I was hoping that we would get to talk a little bit about Fluent, but all I'd be saying is it's really cool, and I'm expecting that it will be as awesome as Metro. Uh, and I've been loving watching the different motion designers working on it. That's about it. We're fans. You know, we saw a little bit of it. Yeah, we're pretty excited about it. I, I'm really excited, excited that Microsoft's doing it in public, that they you know, yeah. actually didn't just present a finished solution, but rather 
said, here's what we're thinking and some samples mm. and allowed the community to actually contribute back to it and, and shape it. That's it's very not like the Windows team. I'm, I'm excited about that. Nothing against the Windows team. We love those guys, too. I think it's uh, it, it's just great. It's uh, a great time to be working on design at Microsoft and to be working with uh, the people who use those designs. It's yeah. it's just exciting to watch this thing coming together from behind the scenes. I couldn't be more pumped. What pulled you into the Edge team? I've been working on the web for like ever, and I always wanted to work on a work on a browser. And also, I should mention that every single person on the, the Edge team was like somebody I loved or admired in the web development community. So when I had the opportunity to come work with all these people that I super respected, I was like, I can't say no to that. That's got to be a treat. I'm, I want to do this. And I got to yeah. say, like, I have the best teammates. They're so good. Very good. That's awesome. I, I always try to bring something nice with me when I come to visit someone's house. So today I brought a very lovely little coupon code for your listeners. If they use NETROCKS, all caps, at uh, bookapart.com to order animation at work, they will get a 10% discount. You will also get a 10% discount on any of my courses on animations and cartooning at courses.rachelneighbors.com. That is so awesome. Thank you on behalf of our listeners. Thank you for having me. Oh, it's been great talking to you. Likewise. And call back. Don't be a stranger. Keep in touch. I won't. Nice. All Take right. care. All right. And we'll see you next time on .NET Rocks. .NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net and produced by Pwop Studios, a full-service audio, video, and post-production facility located physically in New London, Connecticut, and, of course, in the cloud. Online at pwop.com. Visit our website at dotnetrocks.com for RSS feeds, downloads, mobile apps, comments, and access to the full archives going back to show number one, recorded in September 2002. And make sure you check out our sponsors. They keep us in business. Now go write some code. See you next time. Transmit a band by the FCC. Yes, I